God himself chose to suffer, mm -hmm. that's got to have some value. Yeah, we have to understand that life sucks. Yeah. Like, there's suffering always. Yeah. And you can do your best to just avoid it, but or, as we've also talked about, usually that just leads to more suffering. Right. Or you can embrace it. Yeah. And you can learn from it. Yep. And you can grow from it. And I think that's one of the most powerful tools we as people have is failure. talking about maps of meaning um are we in the second chapter now yes yeah at the beginning of the second chapter okay so we're gonna we're just gonna dive right in into this uh episode with uh the second chapter of maps of meaning so uh evan why don't you go ahead and start sweet and just so everyone knows this is a long chapter so we'll be in it for a while it's i don't have the book with me right now but i think it's like 100 pages or something like that oh wow so it'll be a while so just heads up but we'll get started. Uh, first quote that I think is a, it's a good one for us. Um, it is therefore the case that our maps of the world contain what might be regarded as two distinct types of information, sensory and affective. It is not enough to know what something is. It is equally necessary to know what it signifies. And then he says, it might even be argued that animals and human beings are primarily concerned with the affective or emotional significance of the environment. And that's kind of just how we see the world. And I know that Dylan and I have talked about it before, um, how we see things, we perceive things according to like their usefulness and stuff like that. It's kind of along those lines um, where we don't see the world as only objective objects that just exist but they also have meaning. Yeah. So um, I guess I, I, I want to clarify just a little bit because I think I got lost specifically in kind of this, uh, the uh, the animal's emotional connection. Mm. Is that what it was saying? Can you, can you know, just elaborate on that? Yeah. Okay. So first there's the, the two types of information that there are, are the sensory, which mm -hmm. is like the objective stuff. And then there's the effective, which is like – the significance um and he says that animals and human beings are primarily concerned with the affective or emotional significance of the environment okay so like animals not focused on that's a tree mm -hmm. or like that's like if it's a tiger you know mm -hmm. they don't think about it that way it's like that is something that will eat me okay i understand now so it's like it's not emotional and like, oh, it's so pretty. It's emotional and like, this provides me shelter. Mm -hmm. This will hurt me. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. So I thought that was a good starting point. That's one of the major claims he makes. Um, mm -hmm. He talks about this in other places. I wish I remembered the name of what he called the objective world. Mm -hmm. But he calls the world of significance, he usually calls that like the narrative world, mm -hmm. um, where we see things according to like the action that we can do upon them or like the actions that they take and stuff like that. Gotcha. Cause it's more of a narrative and actually, well, do you have any other questions about that one? 
Or does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, so the next quote, he does talk about narrative. Um, he says, the domain mapped by a functional narrative, one that when enacted produce, produces the results desired, might reasonably be regarded as explored territory as events that occur there are predictable. And he says that the opposite of that is the unexplored territory. So what he's saying here is that when a narrative that we have about the world is functional, um, then that's the explored territory. That's the territory that we understand. Mm -hmm. um, and he explains it a little bit further in that paragraph in the book. And pretty much what he's talking about is we try to understand things according to how we can understand them. Um, so we try to act according to how we think our actions will affect the world and like what ends those will meet. Yeah. Um, and that's our explored territory. And then the unexplored territory is just when something that we don't expect to happen happens. Okay. Um, and those gotcha. are kind of the two fundamental places you can be. And that's like what he calls order and chaos. Mm -hmm. Or at least that's aspects of order and chaos. Mm -hmm. Is order is the predictable and chaos is the unpredictable. The unpredictable. Gotcha. Okay. So going back to something... Um you said in which uh, somebody will say or do something and I, basically they will give an input into the environment and mm -hmm. they pretty much know what the output is going to or be. Or they think they know. They th Right. At least they think they know. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, we only think we know what's going on. You know, a lot of us um, don't actually know what's going to happen. I mean, you can walk up to somebody and say, hey, how you doing? And like we would expect a response of like oh not too bad or something mm -hmm. along that kind of friendly gesture mm -hmm. but you know um i i guess my mind kind of goes back to when i was uh in cleveland and there was a lot of like just homeless people or people that were uh using drugs and they were the chaos mm -hmm. in this sense because it didn't matter what input you gave them it you were not going to predict that response right um and I think I've actually, uh, about one of my roommates, he was riding, um, there's a bus that goes from one end of the town area to the other end, and it just loops back. Mm -hmm. um, and you can, like, as a student, you get a pass, you can get on it, and you can ride it down, because, like, my classes were, like, 10 blocks down from my dorm, right? Sure. I never rode it, but um, I know my roommate did. And what ended up happening was he's, uh, he's pretty tall like me, and he's kind of got one foot in the aisle of the bus. And um, he he's just sitting there, N no input, right? He's not inputting into the environment at all. And this like cracked out guy bumps into his shoe or something, mm -hmm. and he flips out and he's like, "Are you trying to kill me?" And my roommate's like, "No, like, uh -huh. sorry." Like he apologized too. He was like, "Sorry, like I, I didn't mean to do that." And and the guy got mad, and they had to like call the police. Oh jeez. So it's like. You know, there's there's obviously there's situations like that in your life where right. it's like you don't even have to input and you can just be receiving absolute chaos essentially. You know, you mm -hmm. can be you can be thrown into the unknown and for sure not even have like done anything to be put into the unknown. And I think yeah. I think that can apply to things outside of that extreme case, you know, mm -hmm. where um you I I mean you're you're driving down the road. 
and I guess you could say you're inputting into the environment because you're driving, but like a deer hits you, you yeah. know, you're being put into chaos. You're being put into the unknown. For sure. And I think, you know, there's only so much you can do to try to like train for that. I feel like a lot of people do try to train for that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but you know, only in those situations, are you actually going to be able to go like, Oh yeah, no, 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 no. Like I'm ready for this. Yeah. Well, and yeah, so I'm glad you're talking about like other real world examples yeah. of this because he has an example that he uses kind of throughout this first part of the chapter okay. but I wanted to leave it out to like not invade your sure ideas that you could come up with yeah I the, the last thing that comes to mind um, is like so if, if we as as people who um, tend to stray from the unknown because you know the unknown can be scary and stuff um, so if we out of security and protection and safety, we stray from the unknown mm-hmm. or we don't try to input um, things into the environment that could cause an unknown reaction. Um, I The first thing that comes to mind are like soldiers in the military or firefighters or police officers or like even paramedics like EMT and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like all of these first responders, that's all they do is they jump into the unknown all the time. Yep. I mean, and your dad, is yeah. you know facing the unknown every time he's working right and it's like he's a police officer right um and it's it's kind of wild to think about it like you know we mm-hmm. we don't go into the unknown because it's like oh like somebody might give me a, a an uncomfortable answer mm-hmm. but like people like your dad as a police officer or like people that are like firefighters and you know the military i'd say is the most extreme because they don't know if there's like an ied in the ground that's gonna blow their humvee to you know kingdom come or if they're gonna make it to the you know base wherever they're going if the convoy is gonna make it to wherever the objective is and yeah they're gonna be fine and like man like hats off to those people in regards to like thinking about it in that sense because like you're really you're stepping into like some crazy unknown that Mm -hmm. most of us wouldn't even like most of us wouldn't even do like one percent of that you know we wouldn't walk up to somebody and converse just out of the blue let alone like you know go be a police officer and need to handle uh, a situation where you get a phone call yeah somebody's being really aggressive and he's yelling at people and and we don't know what's going on you got to find this guy and maybe he's in a house and you got to go through this house with no power. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Like hats off to those people. Yeah. Well, and that's why all the police stuff is a huge, like it's a really tough issue to deal with mm-hmm. because a lot of what people do nowadays is judge it in hindsight mm-hmm. when they know every fact of the case, or maybe they don't know and they think they know. Right. Um, but when you're a police officer going into these situations, you have, no idea what could be happening and sometimes you'll find something out and you have a half second to react and i think that's the case with all of those first responders yeah well i and you can even break it down to um not to rehash old news but like the rittenhouse case Mm -hmm. 17 year old is met with two gunmen right How, how would you handle that situation you you was just let's say you you just go to college that's all you do and you handle normal day situations you say hi to people you go to class you never put any inputs into your environment that could result in an unexpected response right and you know there's there's a bunch of other topics going on around that situation but my ultimate point is that 
you know, this guy, 17, is put into a situation that is absolutely horrifying. Mm -hmm. You know, and he is handling it a lot better than most people would. I know a lot of people would have broken down. They start would have started crying. They would have had a panic attack. They would have froze. Yeah. You know, there's there's all these different responses. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, sometimes you do have to make difficult situations in order to protect yourself or even your loved ones. But I think the fact that he was so young and he was able to think so cleanly and precisely and take care of the situation in a manner that kept him and those around him alive, Mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, that's another hats off situation, especially because he's just generally speaking, an average guy. I know he was training EMT, but like, right. He wasn't military or police or anything. Like he was just Mm -hmm. training. He was practicing for doing the actual training, you know? Yeah. And I think you can say all the same stuff about like, what is it? The Indiana, a uh, guy in the mall. Yeah, the guy in the mall. Same thing. It, and I think, I think that just goes to show that we should all be striving to be ready for that unknown. You know, they Definitely. they always say expect the unexpected, but like, how many people actually go? How many people walk through life going like, yeah, no, I'm I'm prepared for like a car accident. I'm prepared if this happens. I'm prepared mm-hmm. if there's a shooter. You know, I'm prepared to protect those around me, those I love, and in, in myself. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, sure. I, I feel like a lot of people, especially in, in today's society, um, are kind of missing that in their lives. I think so. And since we're focusing on this quite a bit, I'm going to skip ahead to where he kind of talks about these things interrupting how you think the world works. Sure. Um, so he talks about adaptation to like these times where you're thrown into the unknown territory, or mm-hmm. the unexplored territory. Um he kind of sees it as like there can be things that interrupt your perception of what the world's like. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can be like trivial things, like a trivial interruption. So like if you're walking along the street um, and let's say like someone gets in front of you or is really busy or something and you're trying to get somewhere quickly. Yeah. Those are trivial interruptions that they're causing a problem at the moment. So you kind of have to change the actions that you're taking to pursue whatever goal you're pursuing. But you don't have to pursue – you don't have to change, like, the goal that you're pursuing or anything. Right, yeah. You're just try, you have to find a different way to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's those, and he calls those, like – he says they're trivial interruptions, but he calls it, like, normal adaptation, mm-hmm. um, where it's those smaller things. But then there's revolutionary adaptation. Yeah. Um, and revolutionary is, like, a much larger scale interruptions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So here's what he says about the revolutionary adaptation. Um. Simple movement from present to future is occasionally interrupted by a complete breakdown and reformulation, a reconstruction of what the present is and what the f- uh, what the future should be. Um, and I like that one. I liked his example that he uses in the book for it. Um, he talks about like if you think you're doing really good at work and you're trying to get a promotion and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and you're being like you're doing everything you can to get that promotion and stuff to be successful. Mm-hmm. And then you get called into your boss's office and you're fired because you're not being cooperative with other people mm-hmm. um, and all these sorts of things. So you're fired. Mm-hmm. That's revolutionary because everything you were doing was working towards that goal. And you thought you understood what was happening. Like you thought you understood your present and you thought you understood what your future was going to be. Yeah. And then all of that's just blown out of the water. Oh, yeah. And I I'm, I really think the distinction between those two things is important. Um. Yeah, what do you think about that? I yeah, I think 
I, th- I feel like there's there's two ways to kind of attack this. Um, and one pertains to, you know, the situation that we just talked about, you know, first responders, mm-hmm. you know, paramedic, military, you know, all these people, um, e- even in your average Joe, because it's like um, you are one, you're, you're being thrown into the unknown, but two, there is a certain extent in which you can acknowledge that the unknown will cause a revolutionary change in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, like for, I'm sure for Kyle, you know, Rittenhouse, it was that situation. It's like, oh man, this is the unknown. I've never been shot at. Mm-hmm. I've never had to make that decision. Well, how, how long am I going to wait until I react? How long am I going to withstand being shot at before I make the mm-hmm. decision that my life needs to be a priority here? Mm-hmm. You know, and that that's revolutionizing. That's that change. I mean, we saw it changed his entire life, the whole court case and everything that came of it. Yeah, that changed everything. And, you know, I'm sure in that moment he wasn't thinking that he wasn't thinking, no. oh, this is going to be a life changing thing. And that moment he was thinking, what do I need to do so that I wake up next morning? Mm-hmm. You know, what do I need to do so I can see my parents again, so I can see my friends again? Right. He wasn't thinking, oh, like oh, this is going to change my life forever. And and I feel like even just like average person, right? You're driving down the highway, 70 miles an hour, deer, boom. And you get into like a bad car accident. You're not thinking, oh man, my life has changed forever. You're like, uh, what the heck just happened? Yep. What, what do I need to do to ensure mm-hmm. that my life is preserved? So, you know, I can see mom and dad or I could see my kids again. You know, I can, right. I can keep pursuing life. Um, and what, what? Jordan Peterson kind of demonstrates with his example is that person that gets fired, they have a while where they just don't know what to do. Yeah. Because, I mean, their world fell apart. Yeah. Like, they don't have any goal to act towards or anything like that. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's where, like, the depression comes in and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and the connection that I thought would be really important to make there is we've talked about at our, like, youth group thing that we're at a lot about how being in that really low place is where a lot of change can happen. And specifically like that's where you can find God is when you're in that really low spot. Yeah. And that was, that was the next point that came to my mind Um, was exactly what you said, that, that low point when you're facing those changes. But um, I guess I was thinking about it in, in the same sense of like God but in a different sense, and and from my perspective, where this past summer, um, I wrote that script for a TV show because mm-hmm. I felt God was like, all right, if if you want to change your life, if you want to stop having to to go to college and pay all this money for an education that you know isn't you you're not gaining anything from it. If you really want to make that step into entering a career that you're super passionate about, mm-hmm. then you need to do this. And I wrote the script mm-hmm. and I sent it over to Daily Wire mm-hmm. and I heard nothing back. Yeah. And, and you know, I felt really confident. I still do feel confident about that situation in regards to that. That is where I want to work. And I feel that God's pushing me to do work with the Daily Wire. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, I thought I was going to end of summer, midsummer or something. I thought I'd hear back. Yeah. I thought I was going to be able to reach them somehow to hear back. And that didn't happen. 
and I came back to school. Mm-hmm. So there well, was that, that's where you can question like the is everything I'm doing wrong? Right. Like, do I have a complete misunderstanding of what I'm exactly. experiencing? And and I think that that was the hardest part for me. And I think that's a large part of like why when I got here, I didn't really do much, mm-hmm. and why I was just sitting around. And you know, I was I was trying not to let just kind of depression set in you mm-hmm. know i was trying to make sure that i wasn't just sitting around and just going like man i suck life sucks and stuff because that's that's not true and, and you know in the bible it literally talks about god and his plan being beyond your comprehension yep. and how his creativity is so bountiful you might be like oh god might do this and then he does like tenfold of what you thought would happen mm-hmm. and i think that's why i'm really excited about this podcast mm-hmm is because I think this podcast is going to not just benefit me, it'll benefit you, Mm -hmm. and it'll benefit other people. And I think that's what I'm most excited about, is to to hear from other people about how their lives are changing, or how they're able to see and understand things with a new perspective, Mm -hmm. or just that in the morning, they just like listening to the show, or at night, they just like listening to the show. And that's what, like, kind of drives me mm-hmm. is like i feel good i feel in my heart that this is good even if 20 people listen that is 20 people that have an enjoyment that we're sharing mm-hmm. with them that we're creating for them and, you know something i, I don't want to forget about it so mm-hmm. something that i just thought about uh with this whole explored and unexplored and like god's god's plans greater than yours yeah i wonder how much and probably it's got to be a almost always god operates in the unexplored territory oh because it's only unexplored for us yeah (laughs) like if god knows like everything he knows what's in the unexplored territory yeah and like i just want to i wonder how much he operates in the unexplored territory yeah well i mean uh and you know it you could argue that as an omniscient being he's never in the unexplored territory because he knows everything for him it is explored but like but for it's us, our unexplored yeah. territory. So, oh man, but like in that same sense, you could also argue that he he does in fact work in the unexplored territory with us, mm-hmm. because he knows it's unexplored for us. And while he right. knows, he's already explored this territory because of omniscience. Mm-hmm. But like at the same time, he is working with us who are in the unexplored. Yeah. Well, which is why there, I think there's like the Bible quote that like he's a lamp for our feet. Yeah. Because and a light for our path. Yeah. Because in that chaotic darkness, he's the one because he already knows what's out there. Mm-hmm. He's the one that can guide us through it. Yeah. And and all the more reason to like listen to God. Mm-hmm. You know? All the more reason to do exactly what um our youth pastor was talking about last night, which is just have a moment of silence. Mm-hmm. You know, have a moment of silence with God by mm-hmm. yourself with no one around you and just listen chat with God mm-hmm. and then listen and and see what he places on your heart, you know, or even just, you know, God, like I, I'm looking for the next step. What, what can I do mm-hmm. to see this next step? Can you work through a person? Can you speak to me? Can you give me a sign that's clear? So I know what the next step is right. because, you know, I think that's the hardest thing is like the unknown. And I think that's why a lot of people are turned away from God is because it's the unknown, mm-hmm. you know, but man, does the unknown become a lot easier to navigate when you just 
when you take that step in, I would argue, even if, even if you're like, I don't, I don't know about this whole God thing. If you take that step and there is a light at your feet Mm -hmm. into the unknown and you follow that light and you see success, how could you not have more faith than you did before? Right. I mean, that's my story. That's what happened to me. You know, I was like, oh man, you know, I, I don't really know. And then I took that step and I saw the light at my feet and I went into the unknown and I successfully navigated the unknown mm-hmm. and like it was hard yeah yeah and it was scary yeah but like i am here today because of that faith and trust mm-hmm. so like yeah wow <laughs> crazy um well i guess let's keep going with the quotes because there's i think i think there's less quotes today mm-hmm. um and we went through some of those early ones pretty quick because those were kind of definitional more than anything just understanding um but some of these are ones i think that are really easy to dig into okay cool um so maybe before i get into the next one we can really dig in with i'll do i'll get one that last week you were talking about like the kind of morality or ethics or whatever evaluation of you going and doing stuff when you wake up in the morning yeah um this quote just kind of connected that in a better way in my mind um and he's talking about having a meeting in his analogy of like trying to get promoted and stuff it's like going to a meeting where you think you'll do good and then you'll get the promotion after the meeting Mm -hmm. so that's the context for the quote um he says the meeting as sub goal would therefore have the same motivational significance as the goal although at a lesser intensity as it is only one part of a large and more important whole yeah which kind of what we were talking about um yeah I mean, do you understand it? Yeah, no, like, I, I think that that's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is it is basically somebody has accurately articulated something that I've known and been aware of mm-hmm. that I would have otherwise been unable to articulate in mm-hmm. such a extent. I think that's what Jordan Peterson's very good at Yeah. in general. And, like, that's when I talk to people about him, like, especially my mom. Mm-hmm. Cause she's not too into like the whole academia world sure she's just you know a nurse mm-hmm. and she goes about her day goes to church all this kind of stuff so she doesn't think about these things a lot mm-hmm. but when i show her jordan peterson stuff she's just like yeah that totally makes sense but i never would have thought about how mm-hmm. to say it like that well or that yeah. concise i mean if if my goal if the if the goal that I feel God's ca- calling me to, mm-hmm. and the goal, e- even if it's not something that God calls me to, even if I'm just a fool because I'm bad at listening, <laughs> you know that that goal that is so important to me, which is working at the Daily Wire, so I can help what they're doing, mm-hmm. so I can continue to pursue the goals that they have. Um, if that's the goal, this podcast is just as important to me. Right. Just as the script is just as important to me. Mm-hmm. In like, I, like I said, he's articulating the things that I feel in a like tangible way that people can understand. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that, that's yeah. about it. <laughs> and I, I think an important clarification there, because you said, you know, it's just important, obviously, to do these other things. Yeah. Um, he says lesser intensity. Mm-hmm. And to me, that kind of means like the drive. Yeah. In terms of like, man, that's where I want to be. Yep. But that doesn't mean you're any less motivated to do these other things. Right. So like he says, it has the same motivational significance, mm-hmm. 
so it's just as important. But like that end goal, like man, that's it. Yeah, I and I I feel like that's exactly that's exactly how I feel. Is you know, I want to do this podcast for the sake of doing this podcast, but also for the sake of it is one. St- I feel that it is one step closer to reaching mm-hmm. the goal. Mm-hmm. And and even if you don't have a full idea of what that goal is yeah. going to look like, no, you don't. Even, yeah, because we're only operating off what we know, right? And maybe maybe there's something different. Maybe there's an angle that is beyond what I'm seeing mm-hmm. or or perceive. Right. Which is also the importance of following yeah. like God because he can say, I know you think this is where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You're wrong. <laughs> like let me follow me, let me guide you to where I know you're gonna be better. Don't don't you love that when you're when you're like running after something so hard and then you kind of take a moment and you're like, God, where am I going? And he's like, well, you're not going in the wrong direction, but it's not like the right direction. And mm-hmm. he kind of nudges you back on that path. I yeah. feel like you kind of experienced that mm-hmm. um, going from a history major to law and then back to history. Yeah. You know, like law and history, they, they can you could argue that they tie in very nicely, mm-hmm. at least in the way you talk about it. It seems to tie very nicely. And I feel like you were on the right path and then you jumped into law. And God was like, well, how about we go back, mm-hmm. back to history, mm-hmm. you know? And, yeah, you know, that was more, that was also a, something that one of the other youth pastors at our church talked about was the idea that God wants to keep you in maybe like a hallway mm-hmm. where he doesn't have necessarily exact steps that he wants you to take or an exact spot that he wants you to be. Yeah. But he wants you to be in this hallway. Yeah. Like when you're in the hallway, you have free reign. Mm-hmm. You can move around as much as you want. Yeah. Um. And I thought that was kind of like, it relates to the history versus law idea because I feel like I could do both mm-hmm. and do good things in both. Sure. But I feel like I can do more of what I think is important in history. Yeah. And I, I would definitely say that um, for sure. And I think that's just why you're so great at both of those things. Um. I, I I liked what um the pastor said that was I in my mind an important distinction which is like the hallway is the idea of living like Christ mm-hmm. you know living like Jesus and walking like Jesus did mm-hmm. and that it's important to maintain your uh maintain your goals within that hallway and not to stray outside of the hallway because it's just not going to end well <laughs> yeah but, I think that's a good misconception, too, that people might have, hmm. is that following God means you can only do one thing. Yeah. No, 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 Like, no. he, there's important things that you do have to stick to, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, one of Jordan Peterson's ideas that I really like mm-hmm. is the walled garden. Yes. And I've told you about this before, yes. but basically, he says that, like, society is, or culture is like a walled garden where you have these rules that keep you within it um, and they keep bad things out. But when you're following those rules, you're staying within the walls of this garden. You can enjoy the garden. You have free reign to go wherever you want in the garden. You can do whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same kind of thing with following God where it's like you have these rules. Yeah, but they're there to keep you safe and you have a lot of freedom with inside of them or a lot of freedom in them. That's going to make things a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's such a, not only a great analogy for culture, 
mm-hmm. but just as you said, God. And I and I mean, come on, dude. Genesis, the first part of the Bible, it's is talking garden. about the garden. That's where of he Eden. got the analogy from. Gotcha. Okay, so it is like a totally biblical reference yeah. that he's making. Yep. So, yeah, I just to kind of elaborate that point that like following God isn't a, a one direction thing. You're not in a Congo line where all the Christians are all going in the same direction. No, like ultimately the goal is to get to heaven mm-hmm. and to serve God. Right. Mm-hmm. Because the idea, um, and this is going to sound like old news to you, but for me, this was really profound when I first heard it. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like I've just kind of heard it and grasped the concept recently. Your goal is to serve God. And at first you're like, why? Like, why would I want to do that? But if you think about the story of the Bible, and even if even if you're like, ah, uh, I don't I don't know about this. It's mm-hmm. like, just listen to the story. Yeah. So Jesus died for our sins. And Jesus is God's son. And, you know, Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are basically one entity, which is a whole thing that I still, my brain, like, short circuits. It's hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah. Um, but, so let's say in a sense of trying to ground that idea for the sake of understanding the story, God sent his one and only son Mm -hmm. to earth to die for all of us. So we could live guilt free of that sin. Mm -hmm. He died for our sins. So he died pretty horrifically, you know, crucifixion was, it was Worst, it was the worst punishments Romans could come up with. It was, yeah, it was rough. So, all right. So think about it like this. Even if this guy isn't the son of God, mm-hmm. some guy named Jesus, who was incredibly kind to so many people and helped so many people, even if you're like, he didn't turn water into wine. Okay, fine. But he helped so many people, and he brought so much uh, like purpose to people's lives. Mm-hmm. He did so much good, and then he said, "I'm going to die for you. I'm a martyr." Mm-hmm. You know, e- even if you're like not the son of God, he didn't commit miracles. He is still just genuinely one of the kindest people ever to walk this earth. You know, so if you can grasp that concept that he's that kind, that he died for us in the sense that he said, I just want you to live like me. I want you to help each other. I want you to love each other. I want you to live happily. I want you to take time in life, take time to rest, work hard, learn from your suffering. If you take all of that, just these tangible grounded things that you and I could just do, Mm -hmm. how could you not want to at least try that? You know, and going beyond that into where like, the thing that I'm trying to get to is like, so you kind of accept that you live with that, you walk with that. And then you start understanding that that is the truth. And you start believing in God. You start believing in these miracles that Jesus and God have done. You know, you start believing in the stories of Moses parting the Red Sea, which is my favorite story. Mm -hmm. But now you're like, man, okay. So God really did send his only son Mm -hmm. to die for my sins. He died so that I could live sin free. And the only thing I need to do is believe in God. Yep. I want to do more. That's not that's not fair. God does so much for me. God has mm-hmm. God has helped me. He has saved me. He sent his mm-hmm. only son. You know, for every father that listens, like imagine just sending you have one son and you send that son. Right. And he dies for the sake of people. 
I would want to do so much more than just believing in his message, believing in yeah. him. Well, and that's a good tie back to the first episode where we were talking about, you have to reframe mm-hmm. not just your behavior, but what you think is important. Yeah. And like when it's something like that, it's not even that hard to change that. No. Reframe what you think is important. It's not that hard to yeah. redo. So the whole idea of serving God to tie it back to the ultimate point is serving God mm-hmm. isn't just like a, you serve some Lord, you serve some guy. Yeah. You're serving the guy who is the creator of everything, who sacrificed his only son for you. Yeah. He didn't have to. Yeah. He didn't have to. And that's like the big thing is like, he is God. He didn't have to do that, but he loved us so much. He chose to do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd want to serve God. And you know what the cool thing about serving God is? It's not, you're not just giving everything to him. He's like, hey, I have this awesome plan for you. Do yeah. this, work hard, and serve me in the sense that you follow what I call you to do. Yeah. And I will keep giving you. I will keep giving to you. A tenfold what you can imagine. Yeah. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely amazing that yeah. we live in this world that 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 is true Mm -hmm. you know yeah for sure dude it's crazy it's awesome uh so back to jp right (laughs) um this one i thought would take longer but looking at it again i think we have it pretty well understood Mm -hmm. so i'll just let you say whatever you would like to about it if anything stands out he says it appears therefore that the image of a goal a fantasy about the nature of the desired future conceived of in relationship to a model of the significance of the present provides much of the framework determining the motivational significance of ongoing current events. Would you like me to tear that apart? Yeah. Okay. You're going to have to break that one down. Yeah. So <laughs> the, it was, there's that part in parentheses that's in the middle and that's really what bogs it, bogs it down. Yeah. Um, but so the image of a goal um, and a goal according to Peterson, is a fantasy about the nature of the desired future. So it's kind of okay. what you want from the future. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, conceived of in relationship to a model of the significance of the present. Okay, say that, say that one more time. Well, so pretty much what he's saying is uh, the goal is a fantasy of what, the, what you could have as the future right. based on what the presence is right now what the present is right now okay so like if you're in a if you're in a low income situation you fantasize about being out of that and that becomes your goal to be out of that situation by sure. creating some wealth and like just for another, example another way that he says it is you can't have or i think he says that a goal or like if you're going from a to b mm-hmm. trying to get to b presupposes that you are currently at a yeah so you can't try to get to a desired future mm-hmm. without being in a present right now that you are not satisfied with. Yeah. In some way or another. Yeah. Um, so that's what a goal is. So the image of a goal provides much of the framework determining the motivational significance of ongoing current events. Okay. So whatever your goal is, that's what determines the significance of whatever's happening around you at the current moment. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And a good example of that would be like the we'll take his going to a meeting example mm-hmm. and you're running late or something. Yeah. Normally, if you're not running late and you're just walking around, 
the pedestrians that are in front of you and stuff, mm-hmm. they're just people. Yeah. Like they're whatever. You're just walking around. But if you're in a if you're trying to get to a meeting and you're late, those are suddenly obstacles. Yeah. When they wouldn't have been otherwise. Mm-hmm. So the goal that you're trying to get to is what determines uh, how the things you're experiencing now are percep are perceived by you. Mm-hmm. And you could also look at it in regards to like the not just the obstacle but the usefulness of a, a thing mm-hmm. um definitely yeah, yeah that's because what, that's a big argument he makes in one of his later books mm-hmm. and and that's um you know that usefulness is obviously goal orientated so if our if our simple goal is to make a podcast these gaming headsets that we use to you know chat with friends while we play video games you know, hear the video games so we don't bother everyone else, or just even listening to like music or YouTube videos or right. something. It's a simple thing, and you know, if you were like, "Oh, how important is that?" Like, "Oh, well, you know, I'd be a little upset if they broke, but like, I can just get new ones." But because of this podcast, um, by the way, for everyone wondering why my audio is worse than Evans, it is because his gaming headset is much nicer than mine. Yeah, but these are now important to us, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody were to come up and break them we're kind of freaking out, you know? Yeah. And I know yours are kind of sort of broken. Right. But they're not. They're not that. They work. They work, exactly. So it's like these have much more value to us Mm -hmm. because of this goal, the goal of creating this podcast. And I think we we can look at a lot of things, you know, if like the car is the car, if the car breaks, ah, like ah, I gotta go fix the car. Mm-hmm. If the car breaks while you're trying to take your wife who's in labor to the hospital, or if like your buddy broke his arm, you gotta get him down the top of the mountain from mountain biking or whatever. That car is very important. Yeah. And how dare anything happen to that? Because that tool is so vital to mm-hmm. the goal. Mm-hmm. Dude, you're setting me up for another quote. Awesome. Perfect. Uh, I'm omniscient at this point. You are. <laughs> uh, things have no absolutely fixed significance despite our ability to generalize about their value mm-hmm. um so i'll there's like a two-part quote that i like so i'll okay. go into that first so obviously what you're talking about is there's no fixed significance to an object it yes. can change depending on like what's going on or what you think is mm-hmm. important or your goals or whatever um despite our ability to generalize about their value means he talks about in this section of the book that we can generally recognize things as important Mm-hmm. or not so like food mm-hmm. you can generalize and say that food shelter clothes electricity these things are just like important you can generalize about it mm-hmm. but the importance of them isn't fixed so if you if you're in a first world country like ours food is a lot less significant generally speaking than if you're in say somewhere in africa where it's a lot less developed and it's a lot harder to get that food like we can both recognize that Food's obviously important, but our generalization of it is much less significant. Yeah, and you could you could even um, go backwards um, in regards to like technology. Mm-hmm. So like when when you lack food, food becomes vital because mm-hmm. you're you don't have enough you barely have enough for survival. So you need to focus on right. it. Whereas for us, it's like go to a grocery store, but. In the opposite sense, like our phones are, you know, in varying degrees of importance to us, but especially for those of us who like are doing like long distance relationships or have family that are far mm-hmm. away, the phone holds a little bit more importance in regards to being able to get a hold of those people that yeah. we miss. Yeah. Whereas in like 
a place like in Africa where they don't have the food that they really need, it's like, I don't care about this phone. I, I don't care. I don't know what it does. I have nobody to talk to. Everybody right. that I talk to and communicate with to get food, water, shelter. Mm-hmm. They're all right. They're right here. I don't yeah. need this. Yeah. For sure. And actually something I'm not going to necessarily assume where Jordan Pearson got these ideas from. Mm-hmm. Um, but this sounds a lot like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay. Have you heard I, about that? No, I have no idea what that is. Epic. Okay. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs pretty much says that there's like this pyramid Mm-hmm. of importance um i don't remember all of them anymore because i haven't learned about it since high school oh i I, re- I know the pyramid you're talking about where it's like their foundations like basic things like food shelter water mm-hmm. and then as you go up it's like things that it's like go more from abstract yeah or just like uh wants instead yeah. of needs it's like your foundation is your needs mm-hmm. and then at the top is your wants mm-hmm. yes and yeah i think that that's probably Mm -hmm. influencing him somehow sure um so i i pulled it up here so it starts at the bottom is physiological needs yeah so that's like the air food water shelter all that stuff um the very top of that i i don't want to have to go through all of it but the very top is self-actualization yeah which is the desire to become the most that one can be yeah and maslow's point was like no one's gonna focus on becoming the most that they can be when they need to worry about getting food every single day if they're going to survive. Right. And I think that's why um, stories of, like, athletes who grew up in, like, poverty with, like, you know, just their mom or, or no parents at all, mm-hmm. they needed to survive. Yeah. But not only did they survive, they became the most they could be. And now they're, you know, in NFL, NBA, mm-hmm. you know, MLB, like, I, I guess that's the first thing that comes to mind is like the athletes who were nothing, who yeah. needed to survive and did what they ne- needed to survive. But then they took that and they were like, I'm going to work harder so right. I can be the most I can be so I can accomplish my dreams. And then, man, is that like a hard thing to do? Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of us need to do that. And to some extent, perhaps not just physiological needs, but, you know, there's there's needs we all have. Right. And but there's always a goal that we all want and that's yeah. to be, you know, successful and whatever successful means to you. Mm-hmm. And you maybe know. maybe that's a critique that's worth having about the hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. is maybe something like self actualization can motivate you um and actually be important to you. Um more so than the things like food because obviously you'd need them yeah um but those wouldn't give you maybe the same drive yeah Um, so maybe that's a critique you could have with the hierarchy of needs is that and i would almost argue that like you're like i think you're exactly right because i mean think about the past couple days as i've been trying to set up our podcast and and the distros and and create these logos and songs and stuff Mm -hmm. i just would forget to eat yeah it was no longer important Granted, I, I can definitely lose some weight mm-hmm. and, you know. Well, and if you're, like, actually, like, where food's not an option. Right. Then it'll be more important. Right. But I would definitely say that, like, you know, sleep became a secondary thought to getting the logo ready. Mm-hmm. So, you know, food became a secondary thought to making our song. You know, these things became secondary thoughts yeah. to the ultimate goal. I guess I would just be careful not to go too far down that road sure 
because like ultimately you still do have access to a bed yeah and you do have access to food so right i think the point is that you don't have to worry about those right now no right you you have the ability to focus on something else because you already do have these lower yeah. things on the hierarchy mm-hmm. whereas someone that doesn't have those things can't spend time focusing on the self-actualization because they don't have that right lower level need well i my point is because i've i've been at the like oh where's food gonna come from mm-hmm. you know like so and not to the extent that a lot of these athletes have gone but my ultimate point is like when you're driven to this goal you have mm-hmm. it, it can be powerful i know like i remember like oh i'm hungry so instead of like trying to find food i'm just gonna sleep it off but like i know working it distracts you just as well mm-hmm. so i i can imagine a lot of these people that are incredibly successful and incredibly strong in character and as well as physically yeah is because they were like i'm so hungry and they found or ate whatever little thing they could and they were like well it's not going to get better so i'm going to work harder mm-hmm. you know and they persevered through the hunger you know through the hunger pains through all these things because that goal was so important to them sure and that's kind of where i was taken i know my situation is a lot less yeah extreme because i can get food but my point is, is like, I forget food because of my devotion to my goal. Right. So I'm sure that people yeah, no, in I think different, it, I yeah. do think it helps. Yeah. Definitely. I just, I wouldn't go too far with that idea. No, for sure. Is my point. Yeah. Um, and I think this, this is like a really related quote to the one I just gave about the fixed significance. Mm-hmm. So we don't really have to talk about this one. Um, unless you think of something you want to say. But I feel like it's pretty self-evident at this point. He said, It is not possible to finally determine how or whether something is meaningful by observing the objective features of that thing. And I think that's just a good one Yeah. to say. I mean, it, it's pretty much just reiterating the same thing in a different way. Yeah. Um, you can't say something is meaningful just by what it is. Yeah, you can't so. judge a book by its cover. Sure. Something that comes from, like, pre-k you know you can't judge a book by its cover don't just look at the cover of the book read the back Mm. but like i mean truly like i think you can look at it in in regards to like people yeah you know as we're told don't judge a book by its cover but like i don't think either one of us would have met each other by just looking at each other I don't think sure. we would have looked at each other and been like, oh, that's an individual I want to hang out with. Oh, I mean, I saw you. I saw you face plant on your longboard. Yeah. And you so. were like, yikes. That guy's a mess. <laughs> I was like, I don't I'm unfortunate for that, dude. <laughs> yeah. But it, it wasn't until, you know, my girlfriend brought us together mm-hmm. and then we kind of hung out and got to know each other that we had a lot in common. Right. So. And then the significance comes in. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think that one's pretty pretty simple Mm -hmm. um last quote here i feel like we can talk about this one for a hot second so yeah this will be the last one we evaluate the significance of ongoing events in light of their perceived relationship to the goal um and that kind of means like we evaluate the significance like if something's good or bad or it's useful or not useful which kind of what we've been talking about Mm -hmm. um and then he says we modify our behavioral outputs our means when necessary to make the attainment of our goal ever more likely. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we modify our actions within the game, but accept the rules without questions. We move in a linear direction from present to future. Mm-hmm. So each of those sentences, you know, is probably worth talking about. Yeah. The first one I think we've gone over. Um, things are more useful or whatever, depending on your goal. Mm-hmm. We're talking about that. Modifying behavioral outputs to make the goal more likely. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So, modifying behavior outputs. Okay. I'm just, my, right. I'm not reading this, guys. Evan's no. the one reading yeah. it. I, so, I had to think about this. With the words. Um, okay. Break this down just a little bit more for me. Okay. So, we modify our behavioral outputs, like mm-hmm. what we do. Right. Um, to make the attainment of our goal more likely. Right. So, okay. we change what we do to make that goal that we have happen. Well, I feel like that goes back to exactly what I was saying. Mm-hmm is, like, things that are, like, needs become second thought to me when I'm trying to achieve a goal. Yeah. You know? So, like, getting up and making food is, like, I'm hungry, but if I stay focused on this, I'm not that hungry. Yeah. You know? And, like, you you know, you I think you could just go on beyond that. Like, discomfort, I would say, becomes more okay when your goal is that important. Yes, for sure. Um, and I think that's what drives a lot of people in rather difficult situations mm-hmm. is like they are discomfort, like they are in discomfort. They are not comfortable yeah. at all. They aren't comfort, comfortable. They're hungry. They're tired. They're cold. You know, they, they might not have access to yeah. um, a shower. You know, they might not have like parents to kind of look up to or siblings. You know, mm-hmm. there's people that, in those situations. But I think that's what makes somebody so freaking successful is because like rather than focus on the discomfort mm-hmm. they focus on the goal and and that drive just becomes stronger because the more they focus on the goal mm-hmm. and the more they work towards it the lesser the discomfort yeah. becomes and that's a really clear picture to what you're trying to do mm-hmm. because if you know what that goal is then you work towards it and everything else can kind of kind of blur out yeah like you get a really like tunnel vision pin, yeah tunnel vision exactly towards what you're doing now the danger in that mm-hmm is that and I, I think it's actually something he talks about a little bit in the book i didn't quote it or anything but um when you get that tunnel vision it's good to have doubt about what your goal is mm-hmm. so that you're constantly like rethinking yeah and verifying that that's like what you should be doing mm-hmm. because like in the one with the the person that thought they were going to get promoted then they get fired mm-hmm. that's because they were so focused on the goal that they weren't considering anything else right um that could have detract from that everything else was just like an annoyance that was getting in the way Mm -hmm. um and that can't happen if you want to have a realistic view of the world yeah um and i think that's something that i have struggled with before in the past Mm -hmm. and like worried about like well you know what if i'm going down the wrong path and i'm just convincing myself that what i want to do is what i need to be doing Mm -hmm. and that i'm keeping myself like purposefully blind to other things yeah well i and i totally agree with you i think recently i've been you know really worried am i listening to god Mm -hmm. like am i really following god yeah you know am i doing the right thing am i am i following the the calling he has for me and something i wrote down in my journal um from last service so this past sunday was that 
if God's omnipotent, omniscient, you know, all powerful, mm-hmm. do you really think that when he calls you to do something that you need to have doubt in that thing? Because mm-hmm. if he wants you to know, you will know. Yeah. Was the point I was making in my in my journal that you're doubting that he isn't conveying something to you. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what relieves a lot of my doubt. Mm-hmm. Am I doing the right thing? If well, if you weren't doing the right thing, you would know. Sure. He would tell you. And like I think I've felt strongly about mm-hmm. something I was doing that's the wrong thing. You know. So I'm like I don't I don't have an ounce of that feeling yeah. present now. And actually something from service that I want to relate to this quote about modifying mm-hmm. our behavior to make the goal more likely is uh the pastor talked about the idea of free will. Yeah. And that because we have free will, um, we have to make wise decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of being critical about what you're doing to make sure that the behaviors that you are changing, that's the thing that will get you towards your goal. And part of that's also listening to God. Um, yeah. Because you can't just like say, hey, take the wheel. I'm out of here. Yeah. Like you still have to make decisions. So you still have to think about what will be best for you. And like God can guide you towards it, but you still have to be able to make those decisions. Yeah. And I, I think that's like a wild misconception that a lot of people have about just being a Christian in general mm-hmm. is like, um, oh, well, like God just tells you what to do. Just don't do these things. And then that's it. Your life just floats around. Like, I don't think people take much thought into mm-hmm. like, like the struggles. Well, like you can look at Paul. He was tortured and stuff on like everything he was doing for God. Mm-hmm. Jesus literally crucified suffers in the desert with the devil for 40 days and 40 nights like there's all these things where people are listening to god and they're suffering yeah but they still understand and like what we've talked about a couple times that's they understand that that's necessary to get them towards their goal oh yeah i i think suffering is incredibly important something that um our youth pastor told me was um how good is reward if you've never suffered Mm -hmm. like did you did you really earn it? And and I took that and ran with it. And I was thinking, you know, from kind of like God's perspective, is he's not going to reward you with something you're not ready for. Mm-hmm. Because a reward in of itself is going to be the next step for a harder goal. Sure. If you're not ready for it, you won't receive that reward. So let's take Daily Wire, for example. If, I, if my goal is to work for Daily Wire. Mm-hmm. And I work really hard and I suffer. It's only through that suffering and hard work that I've learned enough to be put into that fast-paced, aggressive, on-top-of-everything mm-hmm. environment. Sure. Right? Only for the next goal to be beyond that. Whereas if you're just... Whereas if it's right just way, handed to me. If all of a, Yeah. If all of a sudden, you know, Ben Shapiro emailed me tomorrow and he read my script and he was like i love it come work for us and i get there and i'm not ready if i can't keep up i will fail in the reward that i sought so hard for right so it's through mm-hmm. the suffering and through that do you really really learn how to handle your reward essentially it's mm-hmm. kind of i i think about it almost like buying a motorcycle you can't start with a massive motorcycle. You don't start with a 1,000cc, 100-horsepower motorcycle. Yes, start something you can control. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Be, and then you learn from that because you, you'll still make mistakes. Right. You know, Believe you me, you will fall. You will make mistakes. You will drop the bike. Mm-hmm. So it's only through learning from that 
can you upgrade the power? Can you get a higher reward? Because we all want to go fast, right? Everybody that loves a motorcycle, everybody that loves a fast car, we want to go fast, mm -hmm. right? We want to have fun. It's awesome. But if you can't control it at 80 miles an hour, how could you control it at 180 miles an hour? Definitely. If you can't control 30 horsepower, how could you control 130 horsepower? How could you, if you can't control, if you can't, persevere through the hardships of setting up a podcast and stuff mm -hmm. how could you persevere through the hardships of being a director of a tv show for a massive company yeah how could you do those things right you know? yeah for sure and i think that can lead to like one of the major takeaways from what we've talked about i really like his ideas of trivial or normal and revolutionary adaptation mm -hmm. i think those are hugely important yeah and we've both gone through revolutionary adaptation, I would say. Yes, and absolutely. Whether it was through like terrible things happening or like realizations or whatever it is, I think they're absolutely necessary and I, they're not a bad thing. Like he never says that they're a bad thing. I don't, I think, I think that a lot of the time they're a good thing because it means that whatever, whatever conception that you had of the world before the adaptation was wrong. Mm hmm. Like, you didn't understand something if an adaptation, a revolutionary adaptation occurs because then you wouldn't need to have that adaptation. Yeah. Um, so that's probably my biggest thing from kind of what we talked about today. Yeah. And I guess furthermore, when you're led by God in that adaptation, then you can have comfort that it's in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Like, you know it's in the right direction. Because if you're just guessing based on what you know, like, well, you already messed up once doing that. Mm -hmm. So who's to say you're not doing it again? Yeah. I I think a big tie that I've made in my mind is um, a lot of people are like, why do we suffer? Mm -hmm. Right? Why do we suffer? And I, I think we've both kind of hashed that out. We've talked about it a lot. But in a biblical sense, Jesus, the son of God, God himself, suffered yep. in the desert. Yeah. For 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah. With Satan. Mm -hmm. So if if the Bible's supposed to be kind of this guide on how to live life and how to do these things and mm -hmm. how to walk with God and understand God, and God himself chose to suffer, mm -hmm. that's got to have some value. Yeah. We have to understand that life sucks. Yeah. Like there's suffering always. Yeah. And you can do your best to just avoid it. But or, as we've also talked about, usually that just leads to more suffering. Right. Or you can embrace it. Yeah. And you can learn from it. Yep. And you can grow from it. And I think that's one of the most powerful tools we as people have is failure, is mm -hmm. suffering. Because through suffering, through failure, through the perseverance of that. We can grow stronger. Do you, Not only do you grow stronger, your character is way better. Mm -hmm. Right? It, things are humbling. You know, we have so much more knowledge, so much more wisdom, so much more strength, you know. There's so much to be made. I mean, I guess I keep thinking of the expression, you know, forge yourself in fire. Mm -hmm. You know, because a forge, like when you forge metal, when you forge a sword, that thing is strong. That is incredibly strong. Right. There's videos. Uh, if you look at swords, there's videos of guys that sh demonstrate the strength of their sword by taking a sword, putting it over a pole so they're perpendicular, and they do pull-ups with that sword. Yeah. Because of how strong that forged steel is. So, you know, I think of the saying, forge yourself in fire. Mm -hmm. Because, man, oh, man, are you going to be 
crazy strong in so many different ways because of it. Yes. I agree. I think that's a good good takeaway. Yeah. So that was the last quote. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we've we've gotten to a good ending point. I think we've tied everything together pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. So we're going to call this episode here. Any last final closing remarks? Uh, I don't think so. There's a lot to go, though. Yeah. So I'm excited. We'll really be able to dive in. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank everybody for uh, listening in and tuning in. Or, you know, I hope you have a great morning, afternoon, evening, whatever you're doing. Um, and I cannot wait to uh, have you guys come back for the third episode of Lessons Learned.